Well, well, well. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Range Extender podcast. And we have officially closed our second season of recording. And at the end of the 2021 season, um, recording this at the night of the draft, of the NBA draft on July 29th, going into July 30th, 2021. It seems like this is going to be a fun off season. So. Definitely going to want to stick around and see what we get into. So this episode, we're going to go over the season in review, and we're going to look back at the uh, 2021 NBA draft that just took place. So let's get right into it. The Milwaukee Bucks sit on the precipice of the 2021 NBA season after defeating the Phoenix Suns in a closely contested six-game series. Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and of course... Giannis Antetokounmpo defeated the likes of Chris Paul and Devin Booker to deliver Milwaukee their second and first championship in almost 50 years. Since the days of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robinson. Oscar Robertson, sorry. After eight seasons of immense growth and even adversity, Buck superstar and nearly anointed king of Wisconsin Giannis Antetokounmpo dropped 50 points in a closeout game to complete the comeback from down 2-0 in the series to win it in 6-4-2. Now with a highly decorated resume, of course, Giannis logged maybe the greatest NBA Finals performance ever, surely solidifying his place in NBA history if he hadn't already. Not to mention, Giannis is three weeks removed from a knee injury that was initially perceived to cost him the rest of the postseason. It was a very scary hyperextended knee that he got against the Hawks falling down with Clint Capella. For someone who watched it live, I definitely didn't think he was returning. I know in the immediate term, nobody really thought he was returning. And then all of a sudden he comes back and puts up one of the greatest finals appearances of all time, which makes this playoff run for Giannis even more miraculous than it already was. It's easy to forget he's only 26 years old, though. And, I mean, he's, he's already accomplished so much. He's two league MVPs, most proved player, a defensive player of the year, Five All-Stars, five All-NBAs, four All-Defense, and now Finals MVP to top it all off. I mean, this has been a crazy five-year run for him, and he's only 26. The best years are ahead of him, which is really scary to think about because, I mean, he's already somewhat of an all-time guy, but with the years he has behind, like, I mean, he's, he's basically in the middle of his career, just now entering his prime, and he already has had a five-year All-NBA run. And so just just from like a legacy standpoint, Giannis could really be making something special of a career here. I mean, I feel like if he retired today, he would already be a first ballot Hall of Famer easily, without a doubt. And so these next five years of his career could be, could be ridiculous. <laughs> when it's all said and done, he might have a very very cluttered trophy case. And just eight years ago, Antetokounmpo's goal was to simply be an NBA player. As an impoverished street vendor who played in Greece's second division, his main focus was just to provide for his family back at home. He even considered giving up on an NBA career when his parents faced trouble with their visas. He just wanted to provide for his family, and if they couldn't come to America, it would have been a lot harder to do so. But, after signing a Supermax contract extension to stay with the Bucks for another five years in exchange for $228 million, it's safe to say he accomplished his goal. So now his main objective is to live each day in the moment and appreciate the rest of his career regardless of the circumstances that come his way. In his post-game presser after clinching the title, he noted that he's especially proud of this year's championship because he didn't run off to join a super team and win that way, and he truly earned it. And, I mean, obviously, he said he didn't want to call out names, but, you know, you think about LeBron leaving Cleveland in 2012, AD leaving um, AD leaving New Orleans in 2019. You know, just all these guys abandoning the team that drafted them, gave them a chance to go win a championship. Giannis did it in typically the year that players will go off to another team and win a championship. 
but instead he stayed in one, which is extremely admirable, especially given the fact that he's on a small market team that obviously doesn't get a lot of mentions until now. And I think it's just a great step in the right direction for teams around the league who, I mean, hopefully by now they realize if they can make shrewd draft decisions, maybe maybe they can have a similar um, situation. The homegrown heroes of Giannis and Middleton obviously can now enjoy the fruits of their labor after beginning their journey as a duo since 2013, which, yeah, since 2013, they've been growing together. Middleton obviously coming over from the Pistons and then Giannis getting drafted directly to the Bucks. Middleton going in and out of the G League, I believe the first all-star ever to have played in the G League. So, I mean, this is a pretty blue chip organic team, um, especially given the fact that Giannis's draft history was so odd because nobody really knew anything about him. Then he was, and people were trying to keep him a secret. He was playing in second division Greece where nobody really knew about him. Uh, that whole story where his first time coming to America, he was convinced he was going to go play for the Hawks. The Hawks kept him a secret. And then he ended up going to the Bucks. was about, I don't know, three inches and 50 pounds lighter. Three inches shorter and 50 pounds lighter at the time. Which, I mean, just the progression of Middleton and Giannis is the sole reason why this team has won this championship. And potentially why small market teams in the future will will have hope for them. We'll have hope for themselves as long as make championship uh, runs. Um, moving on from the champs, the runners-up Phoenix Suns additionally stamped their place in the NBA as well as reaffirm the assertion that small market and organic teams do have a chance in this league. It's definitely possible that Chris Paul will conclude his career without a ring, but the Suns team is definitely set to return next uh, season ready to compete as long as executive James Jones addresses some awkward concerns, particularly with regards to front court depth and tertiary shot creation. He's already begun to acknowledge those concerns by bringing in Landry Shamit uh, tonight, as a matter of fact, during the draft, in exchange for Javon Carter and the 29th pick. So with Shamit in there, he is somewhat of a shot creating wing who can kind of take the load off Booker and Paul when maybe uh campaign doesn't have it or if assuming Mikhail Bridges doesn't really take that next step. Um, aside from those worries though, the Suns plan to come back to the playoffs next year with high hopes. Obviously they made it to the finals, they're a young team, why wouldn't they? Despite the fact that coach Monty Williams acknowledged that making the finals surely exceeds their expectations for the playoffs, the experience this young team games from a deep playoff run gives them the edge over the rest for years to come as they know what it takes to make it to the brink of the pinnacle, while some other teams who are young and up and coming might not know. Um, might not know what it takes to make that deep playoff run with sacrifices and everything. I mean, the Sixers just got eliminated from the second round after falling apart against the Hawks. So I think this run for the Suns will give them at least some sort of mental toughness, knowing that they've almost been there before, and so they'll know at least what it, I mean, they already know what it takes to make it to the finals, which is something a lot of teams cannot say, especially young teams. But as a whole, the 2021 NBA season was definitely a success across all accounts. Aside from a few outbreaks of COVID-19, Adam Silver and the rest of the league managed to survive a full season in the midst of a global pandemic without resorting to another bubble, thankfully, because that would have cost the league a lot of money. And uh, especially from somebody looking at this from a business standpoint and hoping on the progression of the league financially, another bubble would definitely not help the salary cap as well as the salaries of players, executive coaches, and so on. And so this season was definitely huge for the league in terms of growth and possible expansion. Um, additionally, the playoffs... The playoffs generally exceed, uh, receive good ratings, even though LeBron was absent after the first round. But obviously, they're not where they were before the bubble. But I, I, I'm definitely happy to see a post-bubble rebound in ratings because, you know, it, it might have been easy to say that, well, if the ratings were super low in the bubble, potentially 
there would be a lack of interest in the NBA given the ratings before, but the rebound is definitely um, promising. And so, I mean, the plethora of young talent in this postseason demonstrated that the league will be in good hands when King James decides to put on his crown for the last time with a long list. I mean, you have Trey Young, John Collins, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, all making such substantial impacts as well as leading their teams deep in the playoffs. Even those who weren't able to find, uh, who weren't able to be in the final few teams, players like Zion Williamson, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, John Morant, LaMelo Ball, RJ Barrett, and De'Aaron Fox, uh, they made great impacts on their teams and the landscape of the league from a basketball and a marketing standpoint. Uh, I feel like for the latter half of the 2010s, it's been, I mean, it's been a big question on whether or not the NBA will be able to move on in terms of talent and marketing from those core guys, the LeBrons, Durants, Currys, Hardens. And now I think it's pretty clear that once all those guys move into the later stages of their career looking into retirement, I think the NBA is in safe hands, especially with Luka Doncic and Giannis Antetokounmpo, two of the best young players in the game, obviously foreign-born players. And I think they represent where the league is going and as well as where Adam Silver's intentions of driving the league is going. Um, I mean, even, yeah, Nikola Jokic, it seems pretty obvious that Silver wants to expand basketball into a global game, obviously after establishing NBA academies in certain parts of the world, establishing the Africa League, and even mentioning a potential expansion into Mexico. It seems pretty obvious that these foreign-born players, despite what Stephen A. may have to say about uh, Shohei Otani, it's definitely good for basketball. It's good for the style of play. It's good for marketing, uh, worldwide marketing. And I think the globalization of the league is a good thing uh, in terms of a diversity of play, thought, and personality standpoint. And so I'm pretty excited to see where Luka Doncic and Giannis Antetokounmpo drive the league in terms of marketing as I feel like once LeBron and Durant are done, those are probably going to be the top two guys. Um, I mean, even even Nikola Jokic as well. So uh, moving on to just a few teams. As for this year's MVP, Nikola Jokic, unfortunately, dealt with a barrage of injuries that hindered his postseason potential. Jamal Murray went down with an ACL. So the Joker will probably miss out on two potential prime playoff runs now. And that may affect his legacy going forward because, uh, and when I say two potential playoff runs, I mean this one and the next one. Murray, obviously, it's, it's an ACL injury, so the timetable looks like it's about a year. So there's a chance he comes back for the playoffs. I mean, he is he's most likely to return for the playoffs, but um, unfortunately... He probably won't be the same because he might come back in the middle of a series or he might come back just at the end of the regular season or what have you. And so, um, you know, maybe Jokic might not have the support he needs given that he's such a very unique pass for center. He needs those guys to, you know, be able to pass to. But without his go-to partner in crime, Jokic may have to consider encouraging the front office to make a roster change. With, I, I, I would say with or without him, but it, it does not seem like Jokic will request a trade. But it definitely seems like he might have to plead the front office for some help. Hopefully he'll want to stay in Denver, but if things don't go, don't go well, who knows what could happen down the road. Uh, I mean, I feel... Given everything we've seen, it seems like Jokic is really close with Michael Malone. Um, Coach Malone even visits him in Serbia from time to time. So I really don't think requesting a trade is something Jokic has in mind. But um, that he, he definitely will be asking the front office to give him some help. Because this is a team that made the conference finals just last year. Has made it to a couple second rounds now. You know, uh, I feel like they're... In a, I feel like... They're transitioning from a young, exciting playoff team to a legitimate contender, 
not a legitimate contender, but a, like a legitimate solid playoff lock every year. And so with that, uh, within a being an established playoff team, eventually, eventually these um, these aspirations are gonna are gonna overwhelm the team. Um, these expectations are gonna come around the corner quite soon. And, you know, it definitely doesn't help to be to be a team that gets bounced in the second round every every year. You look at the Portland Trailblazers, Trailblazers all these rumors going on about Dame and CJ potentially wanting out. That same thing could happen to Jokic if uh, the Nuggets continually lose in the second round. Although I don't think um, Damian Lillard will ever leave the team willingly. I think a potential change in the roster is definitely glooming around the corner. Uh, for example, I think uh, Yusuf Nurkic is most likely gone this season, uh, this offseason. But um, all arrows point towards Jokic staying, thankfully. But it's definitely disappointing to see his greatest teammate go down while he produces an MVP season. ACL tears are nothing to laugh about, obviously, and the Clippers know this all too well. I mean, after Kawhi Leonard, two-time finals MVP, uh, went down with a leg injury in the second round. The Clippers would soon exit the playoffs, despite some great performances from Paul George and even Reggie Jackson. Similarly to Murray, though, Leonard's injury eventually became a torn ACL, which will bar him from perhaps all next season. This season, though, the Clippers have a lot to be proud about with their conference finals run. But as teams in the Western Conference begin to rise, the Clippers have a lot of upside to fall, especially because... Um, Paul George looks like he's going to have to carry a lot of this load next season. So, with I mean, without Kawhi Leonard, the, the Clippers are most likely a playing team. So, um, I, I think just once again, from a fan of legacies and the history of the league, this ACL injury really sucks for Kawhi Leonard because, I mean, if you looked at the playoffs, had he stayed with the team, it's it's possible Kawhi Leonard wins his third finals MVP, to be honest. I mean, they made it to the conference finals without him. And, I mean, they definitely could have beaten that Suns team with him. And even the Bucs as well. Um, the Clippers, yeah, just have so much upside to fall to the play-in, which is definitely not a good idea. If Kawhi Leonard even comes back for the playoffs, injured into the 7th or 8th seed, it's going to be an uphill battle, which I don't think they will win. This season for them, uh, the Clippers may have been great. And it may have been the last great Clippers run in a while. It's difficult to process um, their short-lived tenure. I mean, bounced in the second round last year. Bounced in the conference finals this year. You know, uh, when Kawhi Leonard and um, Paul George teamed up in, in uh, L.A. two years ago now, it seemed like they were almost a lock for the championship. And now the most they've done is lose in the conference finals in five. It's pretty ridiculous. Um, but it's just, it's just unlucky for the most part. In the playoffs last year in the bubble, I, I mean, it was just a tale of people going cold, a tale of chemistry issues, a tale of not being mentally prepared for what the bubble held. And then this year it just came, I mean, it's easy to say it just came down to injuries, but the way Reggie Jackson, the way Terrence Mann were playing, the way Kawhi Leonard was playing, it definitely looked like they were on for one of those magical title runs. But, um, I mean, at least on the bright side, Reggie Jackson's emergence in the playoffs will likely reward him with a nice payday, whether that's in L.A. or not. But his 17.8 points, 3.4 assists per playoff game did not go in vain. Because he might get a massive pay raise. Going forward for LA, Kawhi's absence will leave a gaping hole in the Clippers' offense and defense, which means fan favorite wing Terrence Mann may have a starting role in his hands. And you know, if if the Terrence Mann game was anything of a for of an element of foreshadowing for the future, maybe they got a good one. Moving on to the Nets, I would say that injuries similarly plagued this team throughout the entire season. And, it, and I feel like those injuries ended up keeping them from their ultimate dream of winning a title. The trio of Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving played a meager 202 minutes together, only seventh for any three-man lineup that included Durant this season. 
while Kyrie Irving and James Harden switching positions midway through their partnership, uh, the chemistry issues definitely presented themselves. As the three superstars called isolation after isolation, uh, their offense under Steve Nash just seemed uh, rather clunky, not very pass-driven, to be honest. It was it was strange. You could tell they hadn't played a lot of minutes together. So hopefully this offseason and next regular season will give them a chance to gel and figure each other out so they can make another so they can actually make another playoff run, hopefully healthy. In the playoffs, though, this season, the Nets potentially could have made a conference final run despite both Harden and uh, Irving being injured due to an all-time unconscious performance from Kevin Durant. Before the world rejoiced over the utter dominance of Giannis Antetokounmpo, Durant went head-to-head with the Greek Freak and outperformed him over the course of the seven-game series. Durant posted a 49.17 rebound in game store of 50.4. Yeah, 15.4 game in um uh to go in game um game five to go up three-two in the series. I mean, that 50.4 game score is insane. It's third all time for a playoff game. If you don't know about game score, it basically measures um just it just gives a score of how well you played that game based on your stats. So he, I mean, he pretty much had the third best statistical playoff game ever by himself. I mean, watching that game, it looked like Durant just did everything because his teammates were not helping him out. Harden was hurt, but was like barely playing. Kyrie was not in the game at all. And I mean, the role players just were not stepping up. Joe Harris completely disappeared in the series. Shamit disappeared. Bruce Brown was there for like half the series, and then Jeff Green was there for the other half. Even Nick Claxton was playing, but uh, after after the Bucks rallied to take Game Six, Durant exploded again for another historic performance in Game Seven, where he had forty eight points, nine rebounds, and six assists. Um, it was just a little bit less. I mean, it was a lot less efficient, but I mean, same thing. He just had to do everything. Durant nearly put the game away and the series away in that game seven with a massive turnaround jumper at the end of regulation. But the only problem with the clutch shot was that Durant's size 18 shoe had just his toe on the line, which sent the Bucks to overtime instead of home. So with the conclusion of the net season where they ended up losing in overtime uh, to the Bucks after that unfortunate Durant injury, it's it's interesting to think about the playoff butterfly effect where had Durant or the ripple effect as well had Durant not had his toe on the line the Bucks would not have won the championship and arguably the Nets would have won uh beating the Hawks where they could have beaten the Hawks in the uh, conference finals and then perhaps the Suns in the finals but at the conclusion of this Nets season it's likely that injuries I mean are going to be an excellent scapegoat for Sean Marks to use for the disappointing season as well as a beacon of hope for the team going forward where they can uh, potentially be healthy and have a, a successful 2022 season where um, they look to make another run. I mean, regardless of this Russell Westbrook trade, uh, which I'll get into later, I definitely feel like the Nets have the top big three in the league. Uh, Durant's probably the best player in the league at the moment. And then obviously you have James Harden and Kyrie Irving. Um, I feel like that's definitely, I'd rather have them than, an aging LeBron, an injury-prone Anthony Davis, and uh, absolute mystery in Russell Westbrook. Um, I would say the greatest surprise of the postseason was definitely Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks and their deep playoff run. This run included Trey Young absolutely dazzling fans and analysts alike with his command of the game and his unique villainous flair. Um, although their season didn't result in a championship, I mean, to be honest, who cares? The expectations for Atlanta were far lower than the outcome, meaning Trey Young and the rest of the squad, just like the Suns, gained valuable playoff experience that could potentially impact them in a similar manner, where down the road this experience could push them to be cool and collected and gain the edge over a team who might not have been able to go where they have. And as as far as reputation goes, I mean, Trey Young literally transformed from 
a player who was viewed as an empty stats guy who did not care about their team and was only going to get his and wouldn't you would never be able to win around. Then they have one like kind of strange offseason, one coach firing, one strange coach hiring, and then they're in the conference finals, uh, losing in six to the eventual champion. It's it's wild. Um, despite their slow start where they ended up firing Lloyd Pierce and then eventually hiring Nate McMillan, former Pistons coach, um, I mean, that that clearly proved to be an effective decision by general manager Travis Schlenk. McMillan, I mean, he's just kind of a strange case study given that he was fired by the Pistons so they could hire Nate Bjorkren, who also was on his way out for Rick Carlisle. But it's just it's just interesting given the fact that he was pretty much outcasted from from the league. You you thought he would probably be a long term assistant, which he perhaps would have been had they not fired Lord Lloyd Pierce. I mean, he was just the assistant in Atlanta, became the interim, then completely turned around the team season, brought them to a conference finals, and I mean now he's here to stay. But I mean, even though this run was spectacular they were still missing DeAndre Hunter. So um, their third biggest score was missing, and they made it to the conference finals. And they're a very young team. It's it's super promising. But they still have some questions this offseason. After the Hawks refused to offer John Collins a contract he believed he deserved, I wonder what free agency will bring forward. Apparently, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN is optimistic about um, Collins' chances to return, but you know, we're just going to have to wait and see. Will the Hawks, uh, another question is, will the Hawks look to speed up their rebuilding process even further, or just continue to build around this young core and wait uh, for players like Reddish, Hunter to develop further, to make a long-term play in the future? I feel like the Hawks are currently at a crossroads right now, and the way they direct their franchise is likely going to have serious implications on their team's legacy, as well as Trey Young for years to come. Um, personally, I think I would wait the long game, especially since his team is quite young and they've already made excellent strides. I feel like I wouldn't want to just trade and go all in for stars where you could potentially grow stars like on your own with um, maybe even a Kevin Herter, uh, a Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter. I feel like these guys all have great upside, and so honestly, I'd just rather be patient. Now, as for the team that lost to the Atlanta Hawks, the Philadelphia... Actually, you know what? Before we get into the 76ers, we're going to take a quick break. All right, and we're back to talk about the 76ers, so um, back from the break. As for the team that lost to the Atlanta Hawks, the Sixers suffered, honestly, an astonishing defeat in the conference semifinals, which ruined the excellent process or progress. Sorry, uh, trust the process. Anyways, they did make in the regular season, so you know what? Maybe, maybe we shouldn't be trusting the process. After finishing in the first seed um, at the end of the season, um, the Sixers seemed like they were poised to make a highly a, a, a high, a deep playoff run. It seemed highly probable that they would make a deep playoff run and they would have been in a much better position than they are now. Obviously, the season for the Sixers officially began once former Rockets general manager decided to jump ship, fearing Harden was on his way out, and head over to the city of brotherly love. Instantly, Moray righted the wrongs of Elton Brand's previous mistakes, shaping off Al Horford and Josh Richardson in exchange for Seth Curry and Danny Green both players who complement the team exponentially better than Richardson and Horford ever did. Now, sitting on the other side of the season, it's pretty clear that the pair of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid won't work if Philadelphia hopes of parading in late June anytime soon. But it appeared to be somewhat common knowledge before the season even started. And, I mean, Simmons seems pretty reluctant to shoot jumpers or any shot in a half-court setting for that matter. And that, that alluded to the fact that he may be more of a center or a power forward than a point guard in my mind. He played point forward in college. And uh, for some reason, he's been playing point guard in Philadelphia. 
I think, I mean, they, they're obviously looking to ship him away. They've tried shipping him off to a bunch of places now. And I feel like he's going to be gone before the season begins. And I, I, I just think it'd be right between them, especially with the history they've had now. It just doesn't seem like, it seems like a situation of mutually parting ways to me. And, um, I mean, by no means is Simmons a bad player, despite the thoughtless slander from NBA Twitter. This is a clear All-NBA player who was just a runner-up for defensive, for the Defensive Player of the Year award, which he arguably should have won. Uh, I feel like rather he's a misunderstood big man stuck in a league where everybody wants to replicate the LeBrons of the world, where perhaps he's more apt to be someone like a Giannis. Yet, even if Simmons were to turn around and become Giannis Antetokounmpo, the fit between him and Embiid is still going to be questionable at best. And the 76ers desperately crave secondary shot creation that would take the load off the ever-disappearing Tobias Harris. This would come maybe in the form of Bradley Beal, but obviously now it might not be as much as possible since following the Westbrook trade, Beal has no intentions of leaving. And uh, the Sixers have every inclination, that, or the, the Wizards have every inclination that they want to pursue a uh, potential contender around Beal. I I don't know how that's possible, but I mean that's their plan. Um, but it it also could have come in the form of James Harden for them earlier this season. They had the deal on the table, but Maury wasn't willing to pull a trigger, unfortunately. And I mean, in my opinion, if they would have traded for Harden, an instant championship. I feel like uh, the Harden. The Harden and Embiid uh, duo is somewhat Kobe Shaq esque. Obviously, not as a lead on either side, but I definitely love the fit between them. Maury famously believes that in the NBA you need three great uh, three great stars, but you can also create those stars through a variety of means. And Maury also believes in winning every trade he does, so he's always going to try to get an overpay. Or not an overpay. Always oh, going to try to flee somebody. That's that's just kind of how Mori operates. So a trade for Simmons, it's it's not going to come immediately, but it's certainly on the horizon. I feel like, um, for example, going into the um, the three stars thing, an excellent role player as a knack for scoring at the right time can make up half uh, of that third player, where a great rebounder and defender can make up the other half. But it's mostly just about how you how you maneuver those things and how you can create those three great players. I mean, they somewhat did it in Houston with the um, Chris Paul, James Harden, Eric uh, Eric Gordon, Trevor Ariza, and the uh, Clint Capella lineup. But um, I feel like this task is a lot more easier said than done. So Maury will definitely have a lot on his plate this offseason as a result of the season just finished. Moving on to the Lakers, um, I uh, had something planned to say about them. I had some notes, but obviously the Westbrook trade just happened, so uh, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I feel like for the Lakers this season, similarly to the other teams, um, their season is just best described by their injury report, long and disappointing. With both LeBron James and Anthony Davis missing substantial time this season with injuries, this Lakers squad never really had the adequate time they needed to gel as a roster and truly make a statement in the playoffs. I know, um, I mean, their core LeBron AD obviously was together for a decent amount of time, but new additions like Montrose Harrell, Andre Drummond even, you know, these guys need time to fit together, and they just didn't have the time. Not only that, but as a result of their lackluster regular season, their first-round matchup in the playoffs was the second-seeded Phoenix, who beat them in just in six games after Anthony Davis went down in four. So seeding and home court advantage certainly was not in their favor. As both LeBron and AD begin to age, begin to age and, I mean, AD beginning to age, whatever. I feel like AD is just getting more injury-prone as the years go on. Lakers GM Rob Palenka is going to have to recognize the severity of the situation. As the championship window might close a lot quicker than he may have intentionally anticipated, uh, initially anticipated, and uh, and after uh, writing my notes down, there have been reports that 
this certainly is the case and they are recognizing that. Um, when I wrote this just a few uh, just about a week ago, um, I, I mentioned the rumors of the Lakers um, looking into desperation trades for Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook. Um, so let's get into that Westbrook trade. Um, L.A. shipped off uh, Katavis Caldwell Pope, Kyle Kuzma, and Montrezl Harrell in exchange for Russell Westbrook and uh, two second rounders. Uh, the Lakers also gave away their first round round pick this year. And so, as much as I see, the thing is about this trade is, I it's really just a t- like a talent versus fit um, conundrum. Uh, I mean, the Lakers reported or uh, Woj reported that the Lakers were initially sending off the same package for Buddy Heald, which was a trade that I absolutely love because, I mean, Buddy Heald's one of the greatest shooters in the league and maybe even the history of the league. And, I mean, he's 28 in his prime. And so pairing with LeBron, that would be an excellent fit. LeBron's one of the best playmakers we've ever seen, especially to wide-open shooters. And so that just seems like a match made in heaven. But then, obviously, that's not the case. Now, Russell Westbrook is coming in uh, Buddy Heald's place. And honestly, as much as Westbrook helps their floor and their ceiling, it's just a sticky situation now that they don't really have any shooters. Um giving away KCP, uh, I guess, Kuzma. But it's going to be a really weird situation to see how Russell Westbrook is so dribble, 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 ball-dominant drive, pull-up mid-range. I, I feel like he's just such a ball-dominant player, and I, f- I feel like that is not going to fly with LeBron and AD, who are looking to compete. And hopefully Westbrook's looking to compete too. I don't think his typical style of play is going to fly in L.A., and I... I also just have a feeling that LeBron's going to have to talk to him about it. You know, I feel, I feel like LeBron's going to have to sit down Westbrook. They're going to talk about how they, or they're going to fit along. And what I really appreciate about Westbrook is his tenacity, his hustle, and just his general, his general willingness to give everything he has to the game. So I think it's going to take a little bit off of him to realize he's that, that third guy on the team. I mean, I think it's I think he's definitely the second best third best player in the league now given that he's behind Kyrie Irving. So I I feel like this is a win for the Lakers assuming that um they can get decent veterans this offseason on a pay cut who can shoot and fit around the team because if they can if they can build a team that fits around Westbrook, LeBron and AD, they're definitely going to have that premier contender again. But the only problem is, can they make it happen? Because obviously Westbrook is a triple-double machine. He's going to be intense. He's going to get the rebounds. He's going to make sure he scores a lot in volume as long as he tones back the unnecessary mid-range pull-ups, the unnecessary threes, the unnecessary shot clock, chucking, all the things that make him a non-winning player. As long as he throws leaves those things in Washington and as long as uh, Polinka builds a contender I mean obviously as long as he builds a contender they're going to be a contender but as long as Polinka can fill in the gaps where Westbrook uh, comes in maybe there's a chance that uh, they can do something well and we'll go in depth on this next time we do our offseason and review uh, podcast going uh, looking ahead into the next regular season but obviously nothing is certain for the Lakers right now but I mean I think they're going to be okay with Westbrook so after this season I feel like there's just a few lessons to be learned for one anything's possible I think we might have already known that Kevin Garnett said so but secondly everything we think we might know about the NBA could change at any instant And, I mean, that's just the beauty of the league and sports in general. Everything's unpredictable, and as much as someone who's covered the league for decades tries to lay out their expert hot takes, guaranteed to work, and betting maestros work out the odds, nobody really knows what's going to happen. 
What sports right what sports writer, TV personality, or even former player hourly predicted that campaign and Frank Kaminsky would play major roles in the final game of the season? None. What sports writer, TV personality, former player predicted a simple toe on the three point line would start a butterfly effect that could affect the league for years to come? Also none. Uh, who predicted that LeBron would finally prove his human to be bounced in the first round? None. Who predicted that a glo- I mean, I mean, who predicted a global pandemic would mean the playoffs would be played at a neutral site with no spectators, and then the following season there would be a packed house every playoff game? None. And I mean, that's just the beauty of sports. And then, as with every NBA season, the narrative of basketball constantly shifts in fun and unexpected ways. The NBA is like a soap opera, except it takes place all over North America and the characters are 10 feet tall. What we can take away from this season, aside from the X's and O's and critical analysis, is that there's no, there really is no such thing as a letdown in terms of league history or you know whatever unfolds or what doesn't unfold. Because what happens is what happens, and that's what's great about it. If, you're, if you predict something and you're wrong, I mean, that's positive. Two small market teams just faced off in the finals with greater ratings than one that just had LeBron James. And, you know, that just gives me great hope for the upcoming decade of NBA basketball. Hopefully it will be even better than the last. So that was the season in review. Um, obviously the draft was tonight. So let's head into it. Initial reaction for the draft, I would just say, like, every single mock draft was wrong. And this, and there were there were no trades that really involved a lot of players, which I found fascinating because usually that happens on draft night. And even though that didn't ha- even though that didn't happen, like every mock draft was wrong. I mean, um, so obviously Cade Cunningham going to the Pistons at one. Jalen Green going to the Rockets at two, Evan Mobley going to the Cavs at three. Those were the only three picks that were 100% right. Um, for the Pistons, Cade Cunningham, amazing pick for them. I mean, it seemed like the general consensus, even if they tried to cover it up or whatever. Um, Cade Cunningham just... I mean, he's a six-eight, rugged, proven point guard with defense, shot-creating, playmate. I mean, the Pistons are definitely lucky with this one. Um, moving on to the Rock, I don't know what to say about Cade Cunningham. He he definitely has all NBA potential, and so does Jalen Green, coming in at two to the Houston Rockets. I, I'm really a fan of this this fun young team that they're putting together around uh, Chris Wood. Um, even Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, Jalen Green was compared to even Kobe Bryant and Dwayne Wade in high school. He played well for G League Ignite. Honestly, he personally is my favorite player in the draft. Um, I'm an Orlando Magic fan. I was praying to get one of the top two picks in, or even top three picks in the draft. Obviously, I would have loved to have any of these guys. Um. But yeah, Jalen Green next to Kevin Porter Jr. might be a bit of a strange fit. I feel like they, they play kind of similar, uh, where they're just kind of ball-dominant shooting guards. But I'm definitely excited to see how this unfolds. Same with Evan Mobley in Cleveland. I mean, they want to pair him next to Jared Allen, but I'm I'm just really concerned about the spacing. And then, I mean, what happened to Kevin Love? I feel like Kevin Love is not a part of that team anymore. I, I He's not going to get bought out because he's making so much, but I feel like they're just going to Al Horford stash him. Hopefully he gets his legs under him and signs like a maybe an MLE for a contender once his contract runs out at the end of the season. But Mobley next to Allen is a, is a bit questionable. I, I know they're both versatile defenders. They can go on the defend on the perimeter. But the thing about Mobley is I'm I'm curious to see what his shooting is like. I feel like it's I feel like it's a little overrated. I uh, I don't really have that expert draft hunch, but it just seems a bit like they're overrating the fact that he can shoot. I don't know. It's gonna be tricky. But the first surprise in the draft came at the fourth pick. Um, 
it was pretty much 100% consensus that it would have been Jalen Suggs. But the Raptors went on to take playmaking forward, Scotty Barnes, who I guess they can play the three. I feel like um I feel I feel like the Raptors might know something we don't with regards to Kyle Lowry because I feel like I at least my thought was they were going to take Suggs as a replacement for Kyle Lowry, and now it doesn't seem like it. I mean, obviously they took Scotty Barnes, so that one was a little bit confusing to me. Maybe they have a trade in the works. Maybe they're gonna. Maybe they're thinking about trading Siakam to Golden State, just holding their options open, or maybe they think about keeping everybody and they just really like Scotty Barnes. It's not something. I mean, I'm not in their front office, but I'm. This is definitely a curious one, and I'm interested to see what Masai Ujiri thought um, about this. So, with the fifth pick, Jalen Suggs going to Orlando is great for them. Orlando's been dying to draft a potentially um, life, okay, I'm not going to say life-changing, but maybe franchise-altering guard. I feel like they've kind of missed out a bunch of times with De'Aaron Fox, Trey Young. They've always kind of been like one pick away from one of those guards. So, I'm, I mean, like I said, I'm a Magic fan. I'm definitely happy they picked him up. And what I'm especially excited about for this team is the fact that they have one of those young teams where all the young guys are friends. They're not they're not going to complain about being Orlando and losing. You know, they're going to want to grow together since they're all, I mean, they're all good friends. They all played AAU together. Bamba, Carter, uh, Wendell Carter Jr., RJ Hampton, Cole Anthony, Jonathan Isaac, uh, Franz Wagner, who I'll get into later. Uh, but I, I feel like minus Wagner, that five of... Um, Cole Anthony, R.J. Hampton, um, Jalen Suggs, Wendell Carter Jr., and Jonathan Isaac, they all play together. They're all really excited to be together on the same team. And you just love to see young guys who are happy to be where they're at, even though they're not on a team that's winning immediately. And I think if um, Jonathan Isaac can come back healthy, Marco Fultz can come back healthy, we're, we definitely have a, a, like a really exciting young core. RJ Hampton made a great leap in the like in the middle of over the course of the season. Cole Anthony showing some good some good six man of the year vibes to me is what he's projecting to. So I'm I'm really liking the fact that we have four young guards in, in uh, Fultz and Anthony and then in Suggs and Hampton who are I mean extremely promising. This is an this is an amazing problem to have, given that Suggs fell to us. Suggs is really athletic, great leader. I, I mean, just overall great player. Obviously, leading Gonzaga to the NCAA tournament final. I'm I'm really excited for the future with Jalen Suggs. And then another major surprise came at the um, the sixth pick, with Jalen or not Jalen, uh, Josh Giddy, out of Arizona or out of Australia going to the Oklahoma City Thunder from the Adelaide 36ers. He averaged about 11, 8, and 8 in his um, lone season in Australia. And I think, I I mean, it seemed like a lot of teams really favored him, but definitely not with the sixth pick. But I feel like for this um, selection with the Thunder, they really were just looking for somebody to put next to Shea Gilgis Alexander since they weren't able to trade up for anybody, which meant that they were want. I mean, they were trying to give away Shea Gilgis Alexander for the first pick, the second pick, even the third or fourth pick, and so. I think Josh Giddy is a good fit next to Gilgis, since he's a a great playmaker, great rebounder, uh, great defender. You know, he might not have the volume score that scoring that uh, Shea Gilgis has. And I think that might be a good thing. I think both just really tall, lengthy guards, uh, I think they're going to complement each other well. The only thing I'm worried about for the Thunder now is, I mean, they have, I think it's 23 draft picks after 2022. So uh, starting next season, they have 23 first round draft picks. They traded for more. And um, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is coming up for a contract extension soon. I mean, Presti, Sam Presti just keeps keeps on adding more picks. 
And so it's it's pretty strange. <laughs> it's actually really strange. I I don't really know when he's going to cash in all of his chips. Maybe he's waiting for the right moment, but holding on to 23 first rounders, you you're not going to be able to take every guy with that pick. So it's it's a little suspicious to say the least. Moving on to 7, um uh the Golden State Warriors uh, from Minnesota selected Jonathan Kaminga uh, from the G League Ignite team. This is a pretty tricky pick for them, especially since they weren't able to move any of the picks and Wiseman for a, a player that they would be looking for, like a Bradley Beal, um, I don't know, or like a Siakam or what have you. And so what I'm interested with this one is, I mean, I feel like the package of Wiggins, Wiseman, number seven and number 14 is a lot more promising than Wiggins, Wiseman, Kaminga, and Moses Moody. It just, there's just something about giving a team the right to select their own pick that's much more enticing. But I feel like they definitely made the right choice here, given the fact that Kaminga was somewhat of a consensus top 10 guy. So it's so they're just kind of taking the safe bets here, um, holding a player that might be potentially valuable to another team. So I, I don't really know about the fit here. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're going to end up moving him. But if Kaminga does end up staying, I assume he'll someone he'll be someone of like a three and D wing starter. So I guess their starting lineup would be. Curry, Clay, maybe Kaminga, probably Wiggins, Draymond, and then and then obviously Wiseman or even um, Eric Pascal. I I just feel like this team is completely with competing timelines, and it's not going to work. They're going to need to choose either one way or the other, and they're definitely not chipping off Curry and Clay, so they're going to have to go with um, moving into a contender. Uh, number eight, Orlando selected Franz Wagner. You know, just just a playmaking wing. Honestly, as a Magic fan, I'm not too upset with it. I would I I would have much rather preferred James Bonite out of uh, UConn, but you know, I I understand the fact that we we can't keep taking these young exciting guards. Number nine, Davion Mitchell to the Kings. It's a bit iffy. I feel like the Kings are pretty good on guards as it is. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like they definitely could have taken Bo Knight and just moved Halliburton to a point guard if they were really concerned about that. Or they could have just traded back to take a like a Zaire Williams or something like that. It's it's a little confusing. Um but obviously they went with Davion Mitchell. Ten Zaire Williams out of Stanford. He was projected to go way um way higher than he or lower than he actually went and so um well the piston or not the pistons um memphis is going to end up having this pick uh from from the uh or no actually this is going to be new orleans picks (laughs) sorry this is the new orleans pick so or no no this is the memphis pick (laughs) Yeah, okay, yeah. Memphis is going to end up taking this pick. So Zaire Williams is going to be... Uh, I kind of like the fit of like a slashing playmaker uh, who can also shoot next to next to Morant, uh, next to Steven Adams, next to Jaron Jackson. I think he'll be an exciting young player to throw in there. James Booknight out of UConn going 11 to the Hornets. Obviously slid a little bit more than I would have liked. He was one of my favorite college players. Um, interesting book night going to Charlotte uh, watching it the draft live it definitely didn't seem like he was excited to go when he got his name called um, he's most likely going to be a backup since Terry Rozier is still playing um, you know definitely not an ideal situation for him but I'm excited to see him develop and I know LaMelo Ball is <laughs> number 12 the Spurs 
The Spurs always have really weird draft situations. They never trade up, never trade down. They don't really care about all the mock drafts or projections or anything. They just kind of take who they think is best available, regardless of where they're going. And they drafted Joshua Primo, um, the youngest player in the draft out of um, out of Alabama. Honestly, I don't know much about him. Whatever he becomes, he becomes. But I definitely trust the Spurs system. What I am wondering about, though, is why they continue to take so many guards, which leads me to believe that DeRozan, um, DeRozan is on his way out. It leads me to believe Derek White's on his way out. And I'm just curious to see what they end up doing with DeJounte Murray. I definitely hope they keep him. 13, the Pacers selected uh, Chris Duarte. Um, you know, they're definitely looking for a backup point guard. They got one. Moses Moody going to the Warriors. Uh, he was somebody who slid a lot. Um, and so, yeah, I think the Warriors are going to look to potentially trade him. Corey Kispert, uh, one of the best shooters in the draft going to the Wizards. He might be a trade chip to hold, but, like, I just don't understand what the point of that is for the Wizards. So we're I guess we're just going to have to see. But it, it's just confusing to me why they would do that why they would want to trade anybody like that but um, I'm curious about the fit long-term fit between Kispert and Avdia you know not all these guys are going to be able to start obviously they just signed Bertons so selecting another shooting forward now that they have three of them it's it's questionable definitely questionable you know I, I we'll just see what happens I guess um, Alperen Sangoon out of Turkey to OKC. Um, OKC loves taking these type of guys with a lot of upside. They're just kind of like weird, versatile players. I feel like that's like a Sam Presti classic. So, you know, actually, I think Sangoon's actually going to the, the Rockets. Yeah, he's going to the Rockets. So... You know, that's going to be an interesting one. Um, just going into some highlights from the draft now. Definitely Keon Johnson at 21 was fascinating to see. Yeah, I mean, he had the, the record for highest vertical in the um, combine. He was predicted to go a lot higher than 21. But uh, I think I think he's on the Clippers now. One of the big problems with the draft is that they really have a terrible job at broadcasting these proposed trades. It's super hard to keep up with all of them on TV. Everybody's wearing the wrong hats. They don't know what's going on. But I think Keon Johnson's going to... I think he's going to the Clippers. I could be wrong on that, but um, if he is going to the Clippers, <laughs> he's definitely going to... I, I feel like he's going to be a rotational guy. Given his athleticism, given that Kawhi's out, he's going to need to step up into that role. What I really enjoyed about this draft, that there were a lot of like those top high school Jelly Fam guys, like your Josh Christophers, like your BJ Bostons, all, um, all coming into their own in this draft. All those like cool college guys. I'm happy to see them getting taken, even though they all really fell a lot. With uh, Christopher going 24, with Todd going 31, um, and BJ Boston going pretty late, uh, 51, a bit strange, but I'm definitely happy these guys are getting picked up, uh, you know, like Romeo Langford and all that. Um, this was definitely a draft for, um, for good names, to be honest. Um... I mean, JT Thor, Ao Dasunmu, um, uh, Marcus Zagorowski, Sandro Makuma, uh, Sandro Mamukislavi, who I I've never heard about, but just watch his highlights. He is a weirdly like off the dribble center, which is gonna be interesting to see if he actually ends up playing. But um, I was really happy to see Luca Garza getting taken, uh, the lowest drafted wooden award winner ever. 
he's one of those guys I really just hope goes to the league and proves everybody wrong. I mean, he was the national player of the year and he went 52nd overall, which is insane, where people just really do not believe in him at all. But I'm hopeful. I, you know, obviously he has that great offensive game. Uh, everything else is a bit questionable, but I'm pretty excited to see what he can do. And then um, another feel-good story was Jason Preston getting drafted 33rd overall. You know, he played on the thirds team for his school and then ended up just being like a blogger for the NBA. Went to UCF to study uh, as his intentions and then played AAU tournament and got the offer from Georgia (laughs) where he ended up winning a scholarship and now he's in the league. That's just one of those uh, feel-good stories. So what I really love about the draft is on draft night, like everybody has something positive to say about everyone. You know, they're all great players. But what I really am going to enjoy seeing with this class and every class before them is how they end up developing and how they end up establishing themselves. Because, you know, heading into the draft, everybody's the same. Nobody's done anything. And so it's all potential. And so now it's really just making the most of what happens and just making something making something work. So I'm definitely excited to see what goes down for these guys. And um, with that, I would just like to say thanks for tagging along for this pod. All right. Signing off for Range Extender Podcast. Good night, everybody.